Shake up your back-to-school routine at Whole Foods Market. With fresh produce, snacks, supplements, and local favorites to jazz up any lunchbox or pantry. And with a big selection of ready-to-heat meals like vegetable lo mein and chicken tikka masala, it's easy to keep the family fueled up for the week. Always made with the high standards you trust from Whole Foods Market. Like banning 230-plus ingredients from all food. All the more reason to make the flavors of Whole Foods Market part of your routine. When you're getting back into your busy fall routine but still want to make every breakfast count, try Blue Apron's new ready-to-cook meals that offer your favorite fresh quality ingredients ready in minutes. With 60-plus options each week, you can choose from an ever-changing mix of high-quality meat, fish, vegetarian, WW-recommended, and health-conscious offerings. Get a $100 gift card, plus enjoy $130 off across your first six orders when you place an order by September 23rd. Visit blueapron.com unique2022. Uh, it's the Let's Go Eat Show. Hi. Oh, hi. Hello. I'm Bill Allred. And uh, in a couple of minutes, you're going to hear me talking to uh, two people about a local theatrical production called Silent Sky. Oh, theater, you're thinking. No, 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 no. Listen, um, this is uh, a play being done at the Rose Wagner. And I hope you're hearing this while it's still running, because this is something that you really need to take your daughter to. Mom, dad. Get your daughter. Well, your son would like it, too. But this is a play about um, a woman who, in her lifetime, was very little known in the scientific community. But she made some of the great scientific or astronomy discoveries uh, that are still being talked about and used today. I mean, so you saw that um, uh, that movie Hidden Figures with the women who work behind the scenes at NASA and never got any credit for it. Well, this is the same thing, except this is a play called Silent Sky, and it's about a woman named Henrietta Leavitt, who worked behind the scenes at Harvard with famous astronomers. And she was a human computer, just like those women in uh, Hidden Figures. It sounds to be a remarkable play. Now, I haven't seen it yet myself, but I'm planning on going and taking my 13-year-old daughter to see it. Why don't you do the same? Well, I mean, I, <clears throat> no, I don't mean that you should take my 13-year-old daughter to see it. You should take your own daughters to see it. So here it is. Uh, it is uh, the play Silent Sky. It's the Let's Go Eat show, and uh, here's uh, Mark and Hannah. I was just reading about this, uh, about Gunderson, the most produced living playwright. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. According to American Theater Magazine, That's does amazing. a poll of all their theaters. Yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, it's funny. I de- as I looked over stuff, I said, oh, I've heard of a couple of these plays, actually. But, I mean, it's like not any, like, huge blockbuster no, she hits. Never, she just writes them. And she hasn't been on Broadway Regional, yet, regional yeah. productions. Yeah. And, and one of the odd things is sometimes you see these people pop to the top of the list because they've got one show that, like, everybody's doing. Oh, and she's yeah. got, like, four shows that everybody's doing. Well, um, Exit were, Pursued by a Bear. Yeah, I and You is getting picked up a lot, I which is a you. beautiful mm-hmm. script. Um, and, yeah, there are, like, there are so many productions of Silent Sky across the country right now. Really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I, I can guess why. And then uh, during the inauguration, she had the free play reading of The Taming. So if you wanted to read her play out loud she said you don't you don't have to pay for the rights or anything you can hmm. just do it yeah as an inauguration protest um oh which yeah was, which was which was a pretty cool event let's uh, let me see here so 
Uh, I want to make sure I got Mark Fawson and then uh, you're Hannah. I am. Hannah Minshaw. Minshew. Minshew. Yes. Oh, that's an E. That's right. All right. Make sure the ringers on your phones are... I was giving a keynote address yesterday to a group of lawyers and um, paralegals. And I always, uh, you know, we always say to guests on our show, make sure your phone is turned off. Or when they come up to the studio, make sure your phone is turned off to guests, you know. So there I am giving this keynote address, and my phone rings. (laughs) (laughs) I remember distinctly one Plan B show where a phone went off, and it was Jay Perry. Of course. Jay, right? And I was like, Jay, come on, man. You know better than that. Hey, Whatever. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's uh, get it underway here. Uh, and um, uh, that's a really bad sound. There we go. Uh, Pygmalion Theater, uh, a pretty remarkable. Pygmalion Theater is a remarkable organization. Yeah. Uh, did Teresa San start this, start Pygmalion Theater, Mark? Uh, no. Um, it was started by um, uh, Fran Prine and Reb oh, Fleming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Re- Teresa, Rebecca, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Teresa's a member of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's some of the people that were from an earlier theater company before that as mm-hmm. well, sort of before my time. Uh, it's it's kind of one of those theater companies that they, you, you guys end up, Pygmalion Theater ends up doing I think some of the most interesting work in town, just because uh, th- there's a really good point of view. I think uh, for Pygmalion. Theater. Yeah, they have they have such a strong focus on just looking specifically at at women's issues. It's uh, a women run organization, mm-hmm. um, and that's one of the things. When I read Silent Sky, I was talking actually to Teresa Sanderson, who's on the board. We were over lunch one day, and she was saying, "Yeah, we're doing." Uh, plays about historical women because uh, they did Mary and Myra earlier mm-hmm, in mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. in the year, um, and we're looking for another one. And I had just read Silent Sky, and I was like, "Oh, this and, is uh, a perfect play for you guys." And you know, uh, Rebecca uh, Fleming, uh, I went to, I, and I, she and I were college students together at Weber oh, State. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, okay. a long time ago. So uh, at any rate, we're here talking about uh, a, a production that's just opening. Uh, Pygmalion Theater's doing uh, Silent Sky, as Mark mentioned. And, and Mark, there are chicken fingers yep. and French fries right there. <laughs> I want you to I want you to eat them while you're yes. while we're talking. Okay. And and um, Hannah, I want you to eat as well. All right, you promise. Uh, so uh, we're talking about the uh, production Silent Sky, uh, as Mark mentioned. Mark Fawson is the director. Uh, and uh, Hannah Minshew, correct? Yes. Uh, plays the uh, title or the lead character in Silent Sky, and we'll tell you all of what all that's about coming up here uh, on the Let's Go Eat show. But we also have food in front of us uh, because, uh, well, it's the Let's Go Eat show, and we're at the club at Fifty West. You're not. You don't have any food in front of you. My producer Dylan. Um, no. No, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't very hungry, and I'm always afraid. That uh, if I get food or drinks at these, that I'll spill it and yeah. like ruin the equipment. Yeah, so don't okay, let that no, make you. That's my fear, right? Because yeah. I'm the closest. Because I'm the closest one to the equipment. So don't let don't let that make you fear it. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so uh, Silence uh, Sky, uh, a Pygmalion Theater production, uh, and it's uh, uh, 
Well, we'll just give you the run dates, and you may be listening to this podcast anytime during that run. But So when it opens on the 28th of April? Yeah, opens April 28th, runs through May 13th. All right. And uh, per, uh, performances, uh, how many nights a week? What do you- uh, we run Thursday, Fridays, and Saturdays, and then there were Sunday matinees, uh, except for the last weekend when it moves to a Saturday matinee. Okay. We've also got a night... Um, when we talk about what the play's about, it'll make more sense. But we've got a night with the planetarium there, a special night through the Clark Planetarium where you can get discount tickets through them and a talk back. Right. And, and if people want to buy tickets, uh, find tickets to uh, Silent Sky, how do they do that? Uh, they can go to pygmalionproductions.org, um, and uh, you'll see a, hopefully a bunch of links there to buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, it's at the Rose Wagner Theater? It's at the Rose Wagner uh, Theater right in the down, Black Box. Right downtown. So yeah. so let's get, let's get to it. Um, uh, I, I don't think we were talking about this on the mics. Uh, Pygmalion Theater Company always, uh, they, they pick plays that have to do with women and women's issues, traditionally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, a lot of times historical women, strong women, uh, women's relationships and so forth. And Silent Sky, uh, a play by Lauren Gunderson. Lauren Gunderson, uh, yeah. Truly, really is that, isn't it? Uh, uh, who want, Mark, do you want to... Why don't you start just kind of give people a brief overview of what the play is? Sure, yeah. It's, it is about um, a group of astronomers, one in particular, Henrietta Levitt, who Hannah plays, um, that were working at Harvard Observatory back in the early 1900s. About, this play takes place about 1900 to 1920. Um, who were considered human computers, because uh, really they were just sort of human Excel spreadsheets. They were there to sort of write down data and reorganize data and fill out paper spreadsheets. But in the midst of that, they made huge contributions to science. Um, Henrietta Leavitt is the one who contributes the work that helps us to understand the size of the universe. And, yeah, I had, I know, I watched Cosmos, I like all that sort of stuff, and I'd never heard of this, of her before this play. Let me, so, so let me ask you, um, the, you say human computers, and you said she's an astronomer, uh, what was, uh, and Hannah, you play the, the character, uh, was she trained in astronomy? I know she had a college degree from Radcliffe, I think I read. Or? Yeah, yeah, so I think technically she had a degree in, in like, mathematics, mm-hmm. but she had taken all of these courses in astronomy, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know if back then... I guess I guess uh, white women could get degrees in astronomy, mm-hmm. um, but she didn't have a formal degree in that. But she, like, for all intents and purposes, she was an astronomer, as were all of the women in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we see this, and of course, there's going to be great interest in this story because uh, hidden figures. That right. the movie that was just out about the women who worked in the uh, early space program and NASA. Uh, and again, women, and in this case, they were women of color, working behind the scenes while the men took all the credit. And, and this is the same, it's the same kind of thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, mm-hmm. it's very similar. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, we picked this way before Hidden Figures was coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it came out and was, and was greeted with such enthusiasm, I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> people, people want to see these stories. It's time to start talking about these things. It, it's amazing to, to me, watching the movie Hidden Figures and hearing the story uh, of uh, Henry, Henrietta Levitt, how this, how this could ever have happened. Um, so talk about what, uh, if you would, Hannah, 
her her life when she went to work uh, at, at at Harvard was it? Yes, the uh, Harvard Observatory. So when she went to work there, what what talk about that part of her life first, if you would? Well, I think um, she she lived in Wisconsin before that, and I think she always kind of felt stuck with that um, in that place. And so when she gets to the observatory, she's not historically she didn't earn a lot of money and for a while she didn't get paid because the observatory didn't have the funds to but it was just such a love of hers to to find these stars and and to discover a, a place in the universe so that's she just did it for the sheer love of it mm-hmm. uh and then i think i read something in a profile of uh, her historically that it, uh, when she was getting paid it amounted to something like 30 cents an hour yeah like a total week she'd maybe earn ten dollars or something like that and and what's so amazing is um and e- either one of you can talk about this but uh or you may both want to address it but what the the discoveries that she started to make it's amazing that she never she really never got any credit for it until maybe after her, she died, right? Well, how does that happen? I don't. I mean, I guess it's just the, the attitudes of the times. But I think it's, I think it's partially the attitudes of the times. I think it's also it is partially the way that science works that she contributes to a discussion. Like she makes a discovery, and then somebody else makes a discovery, and then it goes to Hubble, and he makes mm-hmm. further discoveries, and all that science gets built upon the sort of idea that we have that. Mm-hmm one person discovers everything, that eureka moment isn't really true in science. You start sharing information with other people. It just so happens that the other people who used her information were white men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so they get the credit. And, and it's easy to sort of say, yeah, this work that we built it all on was just this sort of a glorified bookkeeper who happened to notice something. But the big discovery, of course, is yeah, made by white men. I guess the same, a similar thing happened even later in history. Uh, well, it happened at the NASA program, as we talked about, the movie Hidden Figures. And then I remember reading something about Watson and Crick, uh, the guys who mm-hmm. discovered the uh, you know, uh, molecular structure of the gene. Is that what it was? Or the, of DNA. Of yeah. DNA. DNA. And and so it's Watson and Crick, Watson and Crick, Watson, and and then it fi- eventually comes out years later that there was a woman also involved in their research who contributed greatly to it, and and is and I don't I can't even tell your name. She was yeah, kind I, of, can't, I can't remember. I but remember uh, but I mean, yeah. she was just kind of, oh, thanks, thanks for the help. You're a secretary, I guess, or, but not really. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, is, is, so this play is not just about science. No. It's about, it uses science as a springboard to talk about some of the issues we're talking about here. But what else, Mark? Um, I think that one of the things that really... Ros- Rosalind Franklin. Oh, oh, Rosalind Franklin. Oh, thanks, Dylan. Right. I think there was a recent play about her as well with hmm. Nicole Kidman in, 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 in uh, London. Hmm. Um, but yeah, one of the things I think that... So Lauren Gunderson's written actually a few plays about sort of overlooked women in science and math throughout history. Mm-hmm. This is a particular passion of, of hers and bringing science on stage is a passion she's married to a scientist I think I read uh, oh I didn't, I yeah didn't her husband or, or her, her husband's a doctor or a virologist or something like oh, that oh okay oh, anyway. um, and, and I think that one of the things that she does that's so smart is yeah it, it could become a play about science about mm-hmm. the the numbers mm-hmm. but what Henrietta is trying to do sort of the search that motivates her the thing that she finds so frustrating is that at that time we don't know where we are in the universe. We don't know where we belong. We don't know where Earth sits. 
I mean, we've had sort of, you know, Copernicus tells us that the Earth is not the center that the sun is of our solar system. But then it doesn't really change that much after that. We start to think that, yeah, there's a Milky Way. We're probably near the center of it, but that's it. The whole universe is just the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. And she feels frustrated that we don't know where we are in the universe. So that's really her scientific quest, but it's also a personal one to figure out, you know, who we are, where we belong, where do I fit in this world, in this universe, in this society. I think that's a lot. And I think that Lauren Gunderson marries those two really nicely. It's a search for the size of the universe and where you belong, but it's also Henrietta's search for where she belongs. Uh, let's talk about that then, Hannah. Um, uh, so, so you're not the only character in the play. No. Uh, you're, there's your sister, I know. Mm-hmm. And uh, who else? What are so who are some of the other characters? So there's Margie, the sister, and then um, when I get to the observatory, there are two other uh, human computers who are are real historical women. Pe- yeah, mm-hmm. um, Wilhelmina Fleming, who was the first person, first curator of the plates. I, mm-hmm. I can't remember the official title. But she's the one who started it all, and she was originally uh, Pickering, Dr. Pickering, who ran the Harvard College Observatory at the time. Um, she was his housekeeper at first, and mm. then he saw he he just saw something in her, and and the the men who were doing the work weren't getting the job done, and and he saw that she was intelligent and brought her on, and mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. She led the charge, and then Annie Jump Cannon is the other character um, who figured out how to classify stars. Yeah, and we still use Annie Jump Cannon's classification system mm-hmm. today. Really? So, so yeah. again, this is a, a, a kind of a fa- I mean, a really, in, in certain circles, a famous person. I mean, a, a yeah. certainly an accomplished yeah, person. Yeah, hugely. In fact, there are other human computers that made massive contributions that don't even make it into the play yeah. <laughs> because it would have to be four hours long. Yeah. <laughs> now, is there uh, what, so, uh, and then uh, Dr. Pickering is also a character in the... He, he's a character in the sense that people talk about him, but uh, nobody plays him. And there's one other character, a man named Peter Shaw, who uh, he is sort of the assistant to Dr. Pickering, um, mm. and he's really like the love interest of the play. And oh, so there's, there is a love interest. Mm-hmm. Because as you read about um, uh, Le- Ms., Ms. Levitt, I keep getting your first name and her name, Henrietta. <laughs> I keep wanting to, you know. H names, yeah. yeah. Um, a, 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 there, as you read about her life, and I just you know kind of quickly skimmed through some stuff on Wikipedia. A pretty short life, a yep. life plagued by illness, mm-hmm. never married. Talk about that uh, aspect of the the play uh, and the character. Well, I, I think uh, especially at the beginning, that's not on her list of things to do. Getting it's, married, it, or yeah, it's mm-hmm. not in her. I always say it's not on my 10-year plan to get married, and it's not in hers. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she has this goal of finding out where we are in the universe. Um, mm-hmm. Marriage doesn't factor into that, and she's well. okay with that. But then she meets Peter, and that all throws a wrench into things. And she has to battle between wanting to discover and, and figure out these issues that uh, about science that she's had all her life, these questions, and wanting to be with him. Um, and that's kind of one of the, the big conflicts of the play is her deciding between 
the romantic love, familial love, and then these this love for science and this drive to solve all the problems in the universe because that's what Henrietta thinks she was put on this earth for. Uh, uh, talk about the aspect that Mark mentioned about um, finding the where the earth is in the universe and and now I'm sure it's written this way but, but I mean do, do we have an indication that Henrietta um, Levitt really was also on a kind of a personal quest to find out where she fits into the whole scheme of things yeah yeah um in the beginning of the play, she has a speech about how she insists on the exceptional. And I believe that she insists on herself being exceptional and, and meaning something. Um, and she, when she goes along with this, um, she... Oh, the sentence just got away from when me. She go, <laughs> she goes, when she goes along with... Um, so she she follows um, this this path to discovering where we are, not mm-hmm. just where the Earth is, because we know by this point that the Earth rotates around the Sun, and we have um, statistical parallax, is what it's called. So I've learned so much about astronomy <laughs> from this play, um, which is the distance, the average um, distance. It's like when the Earth rotates around the sun, mm-hmm. that distance between where the Earth is on one side of the sun and where the Earth ends up on the other side, uh-huh. that whole length is statistical parallax. I'm probably messing it up. <laughs> but, um, she, but, but we don't know if there are other galaxies. We don't know if the Milky Way is, is it, if that is all there is. And, and she doesn't believe that that's right. She she knows that there's more out there, and she believes that her discoveries will make her belong somewhere. I see. Uh, she's uh, she was a woman uh, from uh, I guess Puritan stock, and uh, a religious person at all. Historically, um, I believe she was religious because they talk yeah. about how she was pretty devoted to the church. Um, but in the fiction of and the play... And by the church, we mean... Not... Not the LDS church. No, 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 no. no. Well, around here, when you say the church, we're like, whoa, she was a Mormon? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Um, in the fiction of the play, she is not. Her religion is science. And she mm. has a lot of conversations with her sister about that, who is very religious. Mm. And um, they, they try to understand each other uh, of whether heaven is real or if it's just science or somewhere in between. Um, and it's all out of love, but in the fiction of the play, she wholeheartedly just believes in science. Yeah, I, and I, 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 I'm now see. I'm tempted to ask. Well, so did, does she and Mr. Peter Shaw ever get it on? But I don't. I, I don't want. I don't want to. It, it's either a not important, or b I don't want to spoil anything. Right. Right. So. But it's a. But it's a. I'll just say it's a really interesting relationship. Yeah. I think it's a very, I think it's interesting how that story plays out, and it doesn't become love saves the day, or that her life is suddenly fulfilled by having a man in it. Mm-hmm. That's not what no. it's about at all. Um, and 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 where their relationship ends up is, is is one of the things I really like about the play. 
Um, oh, see, I think that you're, you're you're very good at that. Just <laughs> just making it just vague enough, but just interesting. Vague. Yeah. Um, because Bill has a, Bill has a serious problem with spoiler not. alerts. It's awful. He doesn't know what a spoiler is. I do not. He, he says something and he thinks it's well, not, that's but not it ruins a spoiler. it ruins everything about a movie. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's my. You should teach him a class. That's my undeserved reputation. <laughs> um, so, uh, Silent Sky. What, uh, mm-hmm. Talk about the title a little bit. Is it, what, the, I mean, you're looking to the sky for answers, and uh, there are none. Is that well? It? Well, uh, part of it is that uh, Henrietta is historically um, hearing hard of impaired. Hearing, yeah, yeah, she's she's, she's uh-huh. hard of hearing. Um, she does wear. Uh, period hearing aid through the show. doesn't um, have an ear so trumpet or anything. Not a, this is just <laughs> past trumpets, thankfully, because mm-hmm. that becomes a problem. That would be, that would be trumpet crappy also. for an actor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Listen, I've been, I'm starting to lose my hearing from years of radio, and I determine when I can't hear well, and I am going to just use an ear trumpet. Just use a trumpet? Yeah. Sure. Because yeah. I sometimes I'm doing, I find myself doing that, cupping my hand around my... Because it works, you know? Yeah. But it's quite the... It's quite the thing back then because it's it is an earpiece mm-hmm. but then she has a big speaker in the middle of her chest that's what you would talk into her big microphone actually sort of in the middle of her chest and then a battery pack that she's carrying around so yeah. it's, it becomes a real physical part of the character it's not subtle it must <laughs> it must have been interesting to uh, work with that prop yeah it was um, at first I thought I was hurting everyone I hugged in a scene <laughs> um, but now it's kind of you know, sometimes we'll run things, and I I will have taken off. I, I call it my buddy because I just mm-hmm. wear it always. And I'll take it off, and we'll do the scene, and it just feels like something's missing, and mm-hmm. there is. Um, but yeah, it it is so much a part of Henrietta in how she interacts, and and um, you know. Mm-hmm. physicality too so you, it was really good to work with that early on do you think that her uh what what do you think her hearing loss maybe contributed uh was she born with that and no no, no it comes it comes late due to uh due fever. To fever um and what's fascinating although it's not mentioned in the play i think just in terms of sort of streamlining things but annie jump cannon who we mentioned the other one of the other was people. also was was deaf mm-hmm. oh um, so two of these remarkable human computers that made massive scientific discoveries were both hearing-impaired women. And we nobody knows for sure, obviously, but, but at least one of the things that happens in the play and how Lauren Gunderson writes about it in the play, it becomes this ability to focus. When she really wants, when Henrietta really wants to work, she takes out her hearing aid and then she can just look at the numbers. She's just completely in the zone mm-hmm. whenever she does that. Um, so I think that that, that that contributes to it somewhat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of solitary study of the stars, I think, I think is something that feels more natural mm-hmm. uh, to her. Um, but yeah, it's in, it's, it, you probably could write a whole play about <laughs> why, why these two women found, found this career at this time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think I, I started, so, so that's, I guess I asked about the title of the yeah. play. That's where we were kind of yeah, um, and that's and, and that's part of it. There's also um, Lauren Gunderson really likes William Wordsworth, uh, the or poet, Whitman. or Whitman. Whitman, no, yeah. 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 yeah, Walt, Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a poem of his uh, that's quoted in there, sort of talking about how you can get so lost in the numbers and the statistics and the charts and the lectures, but sometimes you just need to go out 
and just look up at the sky in complete silence and just enjoy the wonder of it. Mm. Um, and that's something that is a continuing battle of Henrietta's. I think mm. that she initially falls in love with just looking at the stars but gets so wrapped up in the science of it, mm-hmm. she sometimes forgets to actually look at the stars. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's a point that gets emphasized a little bit later in the play. Um, there is, uh, I, I read just a fir- the first uh, couple of three pages of the script, and one of the things that Lauren Gunderson calls for, too, is uh, a night, uh, a stars always being present on, on the set. Yeah. Uh, on the, in the scenery. Uh, talk about uh, that and how you've done that and what it's like. Well, it's one of the reasons why, I, when I read this play, I thought it would have a great home at Pygmalion. We're in the black box studio at the Rose Wagner, which has got it's a big space, and it's got this high, high ceiling with this beautiful black back wall um, that you can project things onto. But it's just it's got a sense of height and space. Mm-hmm. It's not like a little tiny theater, because the sky is really the sixth character in here. Um, so our, our set designer, uh, Thomas George, just made this brilliant idea um, it's a very simple set. It, it doesn't take up a lot of space. It feels very light and fluid. And then we have these panels. Um, the astronomers looked, through, looked at glass plates. That's what their photographs were on, these black and white glass plates. That's, that's what Henrietta was studying. And so we've sort of built about 30 of those with light bulbs behind them that represent the stars that sort of hang throughout. Oh. We've got a couple of other lighting tricks in there. But we really play with when those stars show up and how they look and Boy, when, when they, spoilers, when they all turn on, because <laughs> you know I'm going to use them all at some point, sure. um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pretty beautiful effect. <laughs> it's been amazing to see. Um, the, um, and, uh, so it's uh, set in the early 1900s. Yes. And uh, what are, uh, sometimes that can be kind of tricky and uh, doing period touches and things like that. Talk, yeah. talk about that a little bit. Costuming, I guess, would play a lot of... Yeah, costuming plays a lot. And our, our costume designer, Michael Nielsen, has a really good feel for the period, but it's also very simplified, very streamlined, I think. Um, certainly the way that they talk, the way Lauren Gunderson writes it, does not feel excessively <laughs> fancified. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like, it could be very modern very easily, and we actually talked about that, that we have to heighten the text just a little bit to make sure that we're still in the time period. I, explain that. I, I explain what you're saying there exactly. How, what do you mean heighten the text? Um, like we speak in what's called uh, standard American, which yeah. is a little bit different than how we speak. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of, you know, like back in the the 30s, how everyone spoke then. That's mm. kind of what it sounds. Sort of highly enunciated. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, like just how we say certain words i think we made choices on that yeah i mean lauren is writing in such a the language that she's using is very modern at Mm -hmm. times and so it could become really easy to just sort of give into that and play these as completely modern people Mm -hmm. so by heightening the language it's just people that it's a very funny play but it's not a funny play because funny things happen it's kind of like the west wing or gilmore girls like it's clever people thinking about clever things to say a lot and they're just it's a bunch of really smart people saying smart things and that's what's funny about it but they're they're using their words and so it's not quite as flat perhaps as like a a modern movie and you have to be i i I just got through watching and i got sucked into it watching this uh, series on tv 
uh, Salem. And there were three seasons of this TV show, Salem, about the original, you know, Salem witch trials and the witches in Salem. And it's just, it was just this lurid, you know, turgid, over-the-top, you know, just trashy drama. Right. Um, but I got sucked into it and kind of watched all three seasons of it, really, and really ended up enjoying it. But it was so jarring sometimes when these people who allegedly lived in Salem in the, what was it, 1400s, 1500s? Yeah. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah said things like, okay, well, let's go then. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. or sure thing, or, yeah. you know. Really? Come on. Yeah, and Lauren doesn't quite fall into that, but we have to do a little work to sort of... Yeah, yeah, make the yeah. language sound a little bit more in the period. Does so what, what, does, what is, I guess the period does matter quite a bit in this whole story. The social mores of the time and Yeah, and, and there's even some, uh, there's a, a small thread, narrative thread about um, Annie becoming a suffragette. Annie, her, uh, Annie Cannon, Annie Jump Cannon. Oh, the, the other uh, yeah. cipher, the other computer. I think also the period gets important. It was something that I realized in auditions. When we say that they're human computers, they really are. If you think about, like, if you've got an Excel spreadsheet or mm-hmm. some sort of spreadsheet of some sign, or I've been on a web page or whatever, and you can usually, like, click a column and sort of sort everything mm-hmm. by that. Make it first name, make it last name, whatever. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> for Henrietta, if she wanted to say, hey, can I make any sense out of this if we sort by luminosity? Well, that means rewriting everything from scratch with no errors into a brand new notebook, hundreds and hundreds of rows of data. It's not a simple click of a button. <laughs> you have to be pretty invested and think you've got a good idea because you're going to spend a couple of days just rewriting the information and then look at it and see if it makes sense. So she was like this human Excel spreadsheet. And I just think like just personally, like every time I've sort of clicked a Excel thing no. and said, let's sort it by last name. If I had had to write all that out by hand, I probably just would have gone, yeah, I, I'm not going to bother. <laughs> that yeah. seems like a lot of work. Well, <laughs> I might be right about this, but eh, screw it. Yeah, that's <laughs> just a pain. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and so that, that's part of the period as well. Like the technology isn't there to sort of make things easy. So it becomes a lot about her willpower um, to sort of fight through and how, how the passion that she has, that she wants to see this through. Mm-hmm. She feels like... 12 notebooks with yeah yeah there's a scene where she's she's so close to just throwing it all and and leaving and going home and she starts freaking out about all these notebooks that don't make any sense Mm -hmm. and then she has this idea of oh if we just sort by this column so she has to go do another notebook but that's the one that sort of figures it out Mm -hmm. (laughs) she was uh unremarked in in her time for the most part or completely was she was she was she um acknowledged her contributions acknowledged while she was still alive at all she was published in scientific journals yeah her name was on Um, it she, she was in correspondence with other astronomers but sort of once it gets i mean i think that if you had asked hubble at the time edward uh edward hubble edwin hubble Edwin. Um, Who are the so? Edwin? Yeah, the yeah. telescope yeah. was named yeah, after him. Yeah, and then the, yeah, and then the, yeah, the satellite now is named after him. Mm-hmm. Um, he would have known who she was because he was building on her work. But sort of as it gets to popular consciousness, no, nobody, nobody knew her name. Well, he would have known of her work, but he didn't acknowledge it to anybody. Really? No, no. I mean, he, it was a little footnote probably in his mm-hmm. in, in his stuff where he said, I'm, "I'm building on the research of 
Henrietta Leavitt, and a little mm-hmm. footnote there, but not Henrietta Le- Leavitt made this possible. It mm-hmm. was a different yeah. sort of, he acknowledges her, but that's about it. Yeah, but now uh, what she discovered, it's the period luminosity, I can't remember the last word of it, the... Yeah, period luminosity relationship. Yeah, yeah, period luminosity relationship is also referred to as Levitt's Law now. And it's still, uh, her, what she discovered holds true uh, for astronomers today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only holds true, but it's still used. Like if an astronomer is going back to basics to figure out the distance of stars, they're, they're, they're using her work. Maybe we should make clear what she did figure out. <laughs> I don't know if we've really made that clear. What, no. what did she figure out? Should Just I do some Googling? Uh, <laughs> do you want to try I can. Yeah, it? yeah, I can. <laughs> so uh, she found these stars called um, the Cepheids or Cepheids. There's a bunch of different ways to pronounce it. We spent the half first week of rehearsal figuring out which way we were going to say it. Um, but these Cepheids are blinking stars. They sort of pulse. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, they had found couple of dozen of them astronomers had found that they had they'd found a few and then she started finding thousands immediately um and once she starts studying these and writing down the information she begins to start to see a pattern in how bright they are versus how fast they pulse it's the problem that we were having trying to figure out the size of the universe and the distance of things of stars is if you have Imagine you're in a dark room and there are two lights. And one of the lights is really bright and one of the lights is a lot dimmer. Mm -hmm. Is it because the bright one is closer to you or because it's just a brighter light? We have, in the blackness of space, we have no way of knowing if it's because it's farther or if it's just not as bright. What she figures out is that these pulsing stars, the rate at which they pulse has to do with their brightness. The ones that are the brightest take the longest to pulse. Mm-hmm. And so once she's figured out that and all these, she was looking at one group of Cepheids that were pretty close to each other. So she said, okay, I know those are all in pretty much the same area. So they should all be as bright as each other if they were actually as bright. Distance isn't the mm-hmm. problem here. And then she starts to figure out that the pulsing is the answer. And then from that, you can start to say, I know how, I know how actually bright this star is and how actually bright this other one is. And so if they're the same brightness but it looks dimmer, it's because it's farther away. Yeah. And then she starts to do the math on that. And, and, and I guess we, uh, the way she figures this out, you have to go back to looking at those plates. She's not looking at the stars. She's not looking through a telescope. Did I read that women weren't allowed to touch the telescope? Yeah. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. <laughs> How it's too phallic for you. (laughs) I mean, you really probably. I went uh, and toured at the observatory um, this past summer, and one of the guys there. I I think he was trying to make it sound like they weren't. It wasn't such a sexist thing, but it's you know it remained one. Mm -hmm. Where they were worried about women getting cold up there (laughs) at where the telescope was. Uh And so that's why they weren't allowed to use it. And I was like, okay, okay. Because <laughs> you would look late at night, and it was sort of up high, so it was above things. And so, and a cold night was best. Yeah. And so, the, yeah, it was too, too, too cold for the women. Only men can stand. You're too fragile. Yes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so she's figuring this out by looking. Um, excuse you me. All right. Do we need to call somebody? <clears throat> why don't you call yourself a cab? <clears throat> okay. Um <laughs> She's looking at, um, it's just a little 
It's it's Look, fry sauce. Fry sauce. It's fry sauce. Right. It'll go. It'll pass. <laughs> um, she's looking at the photographs that are taken through the telescope. Mm-hmm. And so she has to look at plate after plate after plate after plate after plate to finally figure this out. I mean, that, and it's, I, can't, I just don't, scientific discovery eludes me sometimes. It's amazing. But. Yeah, it, I think it was just so tedious. Yeah. And the patience that those women had, I couldn't even imagine. And all those, all those plates are still around. Harvard has kept all of them this entire time and has actually put them on the web. Yeah. Um, so I, we were actually able to go into the database and find, like, the stars from the Southern Hemisphere from 1900 and 1920. These are the ones that Henrietta yeah. probably looked at and then create the, the, the plates that they use in the play are actually replicas of the same ones that Henrietta was, mm-hmm. was looking at. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool to imagine that this stuff is all still there that she, that she was working with. Yeah. Um, the um, the fact that women <clears throat> did this is it is I don't know is it is it significant that they were women is was there is there some kind of I don't know special understanding that they might that she might have had just gender wise I I don't think so no. I. I, I and Wilhelmina Fleming has a little speech about how the mind is is sexless, genderless, um, and I really agree with that. I think um, maybe because of her situation of, of being a, a female astronomer and knowing that she was going to have to work harder and she always had all her life, that made her not take anything for granted Probably, which is, yeah. you no, know, it still happens today. Like, yeah, sure. women have to work so much harder in, in most, if not all, fields. Yeah, we had a woman come to rehearsal, uh, sit in on, on a rehearsal just at the second part of the play, and she started watching it and just as we were working through stuff. And we took a break, and she, and I was asking her how she, how she liked it and if she thought it was interesting. She said, yeah, I know exactly what this play's about. I was a paleontologist for 40 years. Hmm. And these sort of divides between the genders and science <laughs> this isn't about the early 20th century this still happens today yeah um and it still happens even now i mean this is why there's such efforts towards getting young girls into stem fields which is one of the things i think is 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 really interesting about this play and why i wanted to do it i think plays like this or like the movie hidden figures gives representation and starts to say yeah there are there are role models for young women entering the sciences, there are people that look like you and act like you that made major discoveries. It's not you don't have to be a man to do this. You know, yeah. it's, it's interesting that uh, if you recall uh, when you were in elementary school, the girls were always better at math. Mo- the girls were almost always better at math than the boys until a certain age, and then it seemed as though. I don't know. I, it just seemed as though they somehow society directed females away. Okay, well, you're really good at math, but now we're going to direct you away from that. Yeah. And the boys take over. You know, the boys are the ones who will do the math now. Yeah, and it sort of, it sort of has, has hit home for me. My oldest daughter is really interested in chemistry, and so she's going to a camp up at University of Utah doing college-level stuff. She's in high school right now doing college-level work on chemistry this summer. And it was like halfway through this play that I realized, oh, yeah, I'm, 
we're kind of doing this for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is that's that that's what this is. We have to be able to say that it just it just doesn't matter. There's no reason why we should exclude 50 percent of our population from yeah. making scientific discoveries. Yeah. <laughs> what uh, did her health have any? Uh, does it play? Is it addressed in the plan? Because I just read that she had health problems and uh, not only just her uh, hearing impairment. She had other health problems and died quite early at I think 53 or something yeah yeah um so she died probably back then of they probably what they said it was consumption Consumption. or something (laughs) yeah Yeah. but uh retroactively I think they said it was probably ovarian cancer is what Mm. made her health deteriorate so quickly Mm -hmm. um and that is addressed in the show she, I mean, she was kind. Of, it was another obstacle. Uh, I mean, she she was often not well while she was doing this research. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and in the play, at least, she's going to power through it. Um, and she has a little bit of a conflict with her sister because her sister wants to take her back home to Wisconsin and mm-hmm. you know take care of her. And she says, "No, I'm going to keep working." That's what I want to do. That's my life, and I'm going to stay here and, and work until I drop. And, and did. Things, huh? yeah, Henrietta doesn't get to see the acknowledgement and the acceptance of her ideas. Um, when we talk about you know, what she recognized at the time, she actually was nominated for um, the Nobel Prize. While she, while she was alive? No. Oh. <laughs> and you can't give Nobel Prizes posthumously. A a fellow scientist of hers in Europe in 1926 said, I nominate her for the Nobel Prize. And the Nobel Committee went, she passed away two years ago. We can't give her an award. Um, So so even that was denied to her um, by the happenstance of her her illness. Uh, Henrietta Leavitt um, didn't know that there was a Leavitt's Law. No. Didn't know that an asteroid was named after her. Yeah. And a cr- and a crater on the moon. What an honor! <laughs> but there's a, the Levitt crater. Uh, Levitt crater. Oh, I, I think read. I knew that. Yeah, I read that. Oh, uh, that's great. There's Levitt uh, crater on the moon, named after in her honor. Um, uh, I, it's it's just it's it's stunning. It really is. But uh, it's a great topic, and it's particularly timely. I think. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's uh, Silent Sky. Uh, Mark Fawson is the director. And Hannah Minshew is uh, Henrietta Leavitt. The the the, the, it's, the, the play is about her. Um, pr- pretty pretty cool, you guys. Uh, anything we haven't covered? Do you think we need to cover about the play? I think we've sort of given people. A, yeah, yeah. I think we've given people a pretty good idea of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's it's just a delight. It, this play is so special. Mm. I think I. Remember reading it for the first time and just kind of sitting there in silence for a little bit, and then just saying, "Oh my god," because it's just wonderful. I think the, I mean we've talked a lot about the science and the history of it, but it's mm-hmm. also like it's a it's actually a pretty funny play. Yeah, <laughs> it's very now, warm, you mentioned that before. Sort of, it doesn't sort of weigh itself down yeah. in this is a science lecture. Yeah, um, you can get the science or not get the science. You know, doesn't that's, yeah. that, that's up to you. It's really about sort of the bond between the characters, and they're all just kind of funny people yeah <laughs> it's, it was surprising to me when we got into the room i didn't think it was gonna make it was gonna be that funny they just they you mean they are they're they well you mentioned kind of gilmore girls or that yeah. kind of so they're witty people yeah. and, and that's where the humor comes yeah. from yeah they're super smart they yeah. they talk fast they they make jokes um henrietta's got a pretty sarcastic sense of humor yeah <laughs> she does <laughs> 
she knows she's the smartest person in every room that she's in. Yeah. Which gets her in trouble sometimes, which is interesting. I only saw one photo of her, and it was not flattering because it looked like one of her eyes was way bigger than the other one. <laughs> I, it was like she had this one great big eye. And, uh, uh, it's uh, Silent Sky. Skies or Sky? Sky. 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 And uh, Pygmalion Theater production. Uh, it's at the Rose Wagner. The run dates are? Uh, April 28th through May 13th. So uh, if you, uh, please, you're hearing it in within that time. If you're hearing this within that time frame, you can get tictics by going where? Uh, to PygmalionProductions.org. Uh, and you can find uh, links to buy tickets there, including all the show dates and what time we're performing and everything like right. that. Take uh, your daughters to see it. Yeah, good. I I should really take no you. Yeah, you I, take your daughters. Yeah, I that's, I should. I really should. I should also say too, like it's it's a rarity. It feels like sometimes in Salt Lake Theater here, but like it's a, actually like a like, like there's no swearing. There's no, yeah. there's no, like, there's no, no swearing. Advisory. Well, shit, I'm not taking my kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually like like a play that you could take like. Any young person, yeah, anybody, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Which family is friendly. Would you, yeah. would you, would you think uh, just the the um, uh, intellectual level? I mean, how old maybe would somebody have to be before they really kind of get it? And, I don't know. Because you sort of just characterize. You see her excitement about it. So even if you don't understand the details, you understand she's looking at the stars and discovering something important. Like 12, 13. Oh, yeah. I'd say I mean, even maybe like eight years that. old. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 I'm trying to remember like the first time what age I was when I saw Carl Sagan's Cosmos and started to get interested in all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think I was nine or ten mm-hmm. or something. You know, you can yeah. you can follow that uh, the, the new Neil deGrasse Tyson Cosmos if you were watching yeah, that sure. with your family. They would love this. There yeah. was an episode in that about these human computers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's about space, like kids, space and dinosaurs. You yeah. can't get much cooler than that. <laughs> yeah. Um, now what's uh, uh, so, so you get tickets by going where again? Pygmalionproductions.org. Okay. Uh, and then what's, just before we wrap it up here, what's next for you, Mark? Do you know? Uh, yeah, I'll be uh, acting this summer in a play called Blackbird, uh, directed by Larry West. Oh, I know, Larry. Utah Rep. Also yeah. went to college with Larry. Oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Larry is the guy that got me into Salt Lake Theater, really. It's thanks to him that I'm even involved in stuff here. Um, so, yeah, I'm doing that, and then I'll be directing another couple shows mm-hmm. later in the winter there. All right. And uh, do you know what's next for you? Yeah, so I'm uh, with uh, Pinnacle Acting Company. I'm going to be doing, be doing The Importance of Being Earnest that Larry's directing. Ah. Um, and then after that, I'm shipping off to grad school in London. You know, Larry West and I were in together, not The Importance of Being Earnest, but the, 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 the cheap version of it uh, uh charlie's charlie's aunt charlie's aunt larry and i were in charlie's aunt together i can see that and i was the i was uh lord fancourt baberly from brazil where the nuts come from and uh larry was one of the suitors as i okay. recall and that goes back uh, it, uh, uh, all right. Uh, Mark Fawson and uh, Hannah Minshew, thanks so much for being with us. Thank, thank you. you. Uh, I want to thank uh, Dylan for producing the show. You're welcome. Is that all? <laughs> Is that all you have to say? Just you're welcome? Uh-huh. You, you should say thanks for letting me do it. I allow you to do this, you know. He's my son. Right? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to. No? Okay. 
Uh, thanks to 50 West for uh, providing us a space and some good French fries and salad and uh, uh, chicken fingers and all. And, uh, again, go see Silent Skies um, at the uh, uh, Rose Wagner Theater, Pygmalion Production. Pygmalion Pygmalion Productions.org. Productions.org. Fry sauce is getting to you now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. All right. We'll break <laughs> it out here. Uh, I'm Bill Allred for the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, thanks again for listening. And remember, if you're pouring the drinks, always make mine a double. Broadway Media Podcast Network. 